The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
stop. The light is flashing red. We know that when the light is flashing red, we stop and we look, for we know there is danger. In the spirit and in the world, the lights are all flashing red. We are closer to a nuclear holocaust than we have been at any time in any past history. We are closer to world war. We are closer to absolute breakdown of our economy and our culture and the church. It's apostate in America. So the light is flashing. And I pray that what I have to share with you today will save your life. That you will hear and that you will understand that it will penetrate to your heart. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I know any word that is spoken that is not of you will fall to the ground and bear no fruit. I'm asking that this word that I speak today, knowing that it has come from your heart, will produce a great harvest of righteousness and sanctification and holiness. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Romans, the sixth chapter, beginning with verse 16. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness. Please note, there are only three options. One, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, so you were either going to obey the sin, resulting in death, or of obedience, resulting in righteousness. Now, I said three things. What is the third? The third is the absolute deception that you believe that there is a neutral ground where you can choose, you can pick, you can decide what you want. That raises a word that we're going to deal with today and tomorrow and next week. And that word is deception. Deception is when you, when you say the rain is dry. No, the rain is not dry. The, the rain is wet. 
When you say, it's warm outside, but it's 20 degrees. It's cold outside. There is an objective reality. Now, I was not taught this in seminary. I'll never forget my New Testament professor came in one day and began to expound on his belief that to be truly objective, it had to be truly subjective. There was only existential truth. What a foolish, foolish man. No, there is objective truth. There is truth, and there is a lie. Those are really your only two options. The third seeming good option of just choosing for yourself takes us back to the Garden of Eden. And now Eve looks with her eyes at the tree, and she says, you know what? I don't believe in you, Mr. Serpent, and I don't believe in God. I believe in my own judgment. I believe that I have the power and the ability to be God. I'll never forget, I walked into a businessman's office, Josh Cohen, a descendant, direct descendant of Aaron. I walked into his business office over in Baltimore, and in our discussion, I said to him, Do you believe that there is a God? He said, absolutely, I'm God. I'm as good as it gets. And he was very successful. But he was deceived. And his path, if not changed, will take him straight to hell. Eve and Adam together took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so it's this tree of the knowledge that we seek in our higher institutions. My alma mater is Andrews University from Berrien Springs, Michigan, a very fine university at one time. But it has now become woke progressive, leftist, as most universities do, even though it was a Christian institution. Their primary focus now is education. Education not of who God is or what he wants from you or from me or for preparation for service. No, they're now preparing people to be very successful in the world, and they're accomplishing that. To a measure. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Versus the tree of life. I want to read for you a a passage of scripture that's very troubling to me and yet I know it's true, and I receive it with joy. 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. I'll begin with verse 10. 
and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. The red light is flashing because we as a culture, and probably you, have received information and education and independence but you have not received a love of the truth. To love the truth is a choice, and Jesus Christ is the only truth. In him resides all the wisdom of the ages. Every secret is held in Jesus Christ. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, and we'll come back to that tomorrow, tells us plainly, that many will not receive the truth. Gospel of John, first chapter, they did not receive the truth. So part of what we have to do is stop and examine what we're doing, what we're saying, and what we're believing, and ask, is it the truth? Not is it the truth in the sense of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Is it true in the sense of the tree of life? These are separate trees. One tree, the fruit will take you into death. The other tree will take you into life. Now, in this issue, there are many books, some of which I have appreciated, like the book of Elijah, I'm sorry, the book of Enoch, I have enjoyed reading. I've learned from it. It's quoted in scripture. There are some other books, the book of Jashar. And there are other books that I have read that I have enjoyed. But I do not accept any of those books as truth. Because they are not lifting up the plan of salvation, redemption, and Jesus Christ. Now, I hear some preachers, and they will tell the story of Abraham, or they will tell another story out of Scripture, and they will add to it their own imagination. Based on what they read, they will add their own imagination, their own understanding, 
And based on that, they will teach things that are not found in the scriptures. I will not do that. Everything that I teach and everything that I say comes from the Word of God, comes from the Bible. I believe the Bible to be the inspired Word of God. For those of us who are heaven-bound, or for those of you who have not yet made a decision, it is the inspired Word of God It is the roadmap to heaven. It is, if you please, the narrow path. And I will walk that narrow path. So I want to open for you a story today that is very troubling to me. It opens with a glorious event in the life of Abraham, the Lord Jesus in his pre-incarnate state with two angels comes to his tent door in the heat of the day as he is resting in front of the door. He is an old man and he's resting in the heat of the day and suddenly these three people show up. They didn't walk up. They simply appeared, the scriptures say. He sees them and he runs from the tent door to meet them. And he bows himself down to the earth as was customary in that day when approaching a great dignitary or king. And he invites them with his hospitable heart to come and allow him to wash their feet, to give them water to drink, and to prepare a meal for them. This is found in Genesis, the 18th chapter. And so he brings the food that his servant has prepared with the calf that was slain, the bread that his wife has baked, along with milk, Kiefer, if you please. He brings this with curds of cheese and he sets it before them. And he does not sit down and eat with them. They are dignitaries. He stands apart while they finish. And the Lord then begins to give him the understanding of why he has come to announce that in one year, Sarah would have a son. Now, Sarah knows she's old and past the age of having children, and she laughs. And the Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I'm so old? Genesis 18, verse 14. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? No, nothing is too difficult for the Lord. So he tells them that in one year he'll return and they will have a child. 
Now, they rise up after they finish their meal and finish talking with Abram. And they begin to look down towards Sodom. And Abram walks with them as they leave. Now, we find one of the most treasured portions of Scripture. The Lord begins to think in a way that we can understand. It shows a part of the Lord's personality, and that is why it's so precious to me. He thinks to himself, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed? For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after me to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Now I want you to notice, highlight in your Bible and in your mind, He has chosen Abraham. He has chosen him to keep the way of the Lord. The reason the red light is flashing. The reason we must stop is that much of what we are doing is not in the way of the Lord. And everything we do must be in the way of the Lord and not in the way of darkness. And so it takes very careful examination to say, am I doing what is in the way of the Lord? He then says, that the Lord may bring upon Abram what he has spoken about him. In other words, the blessings of God are directly tied to your obedience to the way of the Lord. And your disobedience will bring about a way of darkness and destruction. Or maybe not immediately, but it will bring about your destruction. Now, The two men, angels, referred to as lords, turn and begin to walk away from the incarnate, pre-incarnate Jesus. They begin to walk away from him and away from Abraham. And now He says, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. Please, may I say this to you? All sin is exceedingly grave. And anything you do in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, turning your back on the tree of life, not receiving Jesus as he is shared in the scriptures, 
is exceedingly grave, and you are on very thin ice. You are in very dangerous place, and the judgments of God are about to come upon you and upon your life. And now, he's warning that he is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so grave before him. This is terrifying. It's terrifying because when the Lord decides that he's going to have to destroy a nation, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with God coming to judge. You see, we we think life goes on like it is now, but we ignore the fact that it's a hundred percent mortality. We all are going to die in this flesh. The flesh cannot enter into heaven. So how are you going to successfully make the transition from this flesh body into the spirit body and eternity with Jesus? So Abraham begins to negotiate with the Lord God of heaven. This is intercessory prayer. He begins to raise the issues. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? Should the righteous be destroyed with the wicked? And of course it immediately points up the wickedness of the false prophets today who say, you can never stop sinning until you die. If you don't stop sinning until you die because you're dead, you will be dead. You will not live. You are under judgment. He negotiates down until finally he reaches the number 10. And the Lord said, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if 10 righteous people can be found in it. Well, Lot has been there quite a while. Has he witnessed about the Lord God of heaven, the God of Abraham and Isaac? Has he borne testimony? No, he hasn't. So the two angels come and they find Lot sitting at the gate of Sodom. And sitting at the gate meant he was one of the town elders, a very wealthy man, large flocks. Highly respected. Lot sees these men and he recognizes that they are lords. I don't know how, but he does. He addresses them as, My lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and be on your way. They said, however, No, 
we shall spend the night in the square. They had everything with them. They could camp out. But he urged them strongly. Why? Because he knew what the men of Sodom and Gomorrah were, and he was sitting at the gate as one of the representative elders of the city sitting at the gate. Now the scriptures tell us that Lot was deeply troubled by the wickedness of that city. But he stayed there. He didn't leave. There comes a time for leaving, of not sitting at the gate because we have respect there or because our wife or our children want to be there. There's a time to leave the wicked place. This troubles me because I'm in Washington, D.C., which is one of the most corrupt and wicked cities in America. I'm here because the Lord sent me here to confront the powers of darkness. And I have been doing that year after year, waiting on the power of the Lord, for I have no power to confront the darkness of this city. It is beyond anything I can imagine. But I'm here only until the Lord releases me. And I speak against it. I am not silent. Lot did not speak against it. I'll show you how I know. After they had eaten their evening meal, the scriptures say before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, the young and old of that city, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight, bring them out to us that we may have sexual relationships with them. In other words, they're all homosexuals. And he's saying, bring them out that that we may use them for our pleasure. Lot went out, he shut the door behind him, and he said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. And then he offers his daughters. Now, I know this is the culture, but it was sin. It was wrong. You can't imagine Abraham doing that. He would have called his trained servants and said, Guard this house. But Lot had no trained servants. They said to him, stand aside. This one came in as an alien, and already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. Now, please, yesterday we spoke about this. They have seen in Sodom and Gomorrah the glory of God. They have seen the miraculous defeat of the five kings that came and ripped their cities apart and captured all of the people, including these people who now stand, demanding that Lot surrender himself and his guests. Now, the men reach out their hands 
they bring Lot back into the house and they shut the door. And it says in verse 11, they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. In the Hebrew, it is struck with dizziness. It's struck with confusion and blindness. These men did not give up easily. They wearied themselves trying to find the doorway into Lot's house. And the two men said to Lot, Who do you have here? Your sons-in-law? Your sons, your daughters? Whoever you have here, bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place, because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out quickly that night, and he spoke to his sons-in-laws, two of them. They were about to formalize the marriage after one year. He said to them, up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. So Lot comes and speaks honestly with his sons-in-laws, and they think he's joking. Why would they think he's joking? Because he's never spoken to them about the God of heaven. He's never spoken about the judgments of God, about righteousness, about belonging to the God of Abraham. He's never addressed this issue with them. It's obvious. They hesitate. The two angels seize his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of the two daughters. For the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought him out and put him outside of the city. And when they brought him out, they said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. And then Lot steps in and argues, No, let us go to Zor. It's a small city. We can be safe there. The angels agree. The sun had risen over the earth. And in verse 24, it says, The Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. He overthrew those cities. There were four of them. All the valley, all the inhabitants of the cities, all of what grew on the ground. So here we find Lot. He does not say to the angel, Sir, may we get to Abraham. We belong with Father Abraham. No, he doesn't say that. Now, everything is destroyed. 
His flocks are destroyed. His garden is destroyed. Everything he possesses, except perhaps what he could load on a mule or a donkey from his house, maybe a bag of silver or gold, everything else is gone. And he has no interest in going to Abraham. I don't understand that. I want you to see that God has compassion on Lot, not because he is a righteous man. God has compassion on Lot because he belongs to Abraham, but he doesn't go to Father Abraham. And then in the midst of all of this, even though warned, don't look back, Lot's wife turns and looks back and becomes a pillar of salt. What's that about? She looks back, but judgment comes upon her because she is looking back with longing. She doesn't want to lose her Egyptian-style lifestyle. She loved Egypt. She loved Egypt. She loved the world, the flesh, and the devil. She didn't want to leave Sodom and Gomorrah. Her whole life was there. Her social circle was there. Her friends were there. Her clothing, her house, her furniture, her wealth. And in one moment, it's all taken away, and all she can do is look back with deep anguish and longing. And the Lord says, that's enough. And turns her into a pillar of of salt. Now it says that Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about, when God destroyed the cities of the valley, that God remembered Abraham and sent out Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Now, Lot goes on with his two daughters, and they get him drunk, and he's debased and shamed with incest. Now, what I want you to see, please, today, is that this story that we read, we're told in Ezekiel, See if I can find it. Let me turn and see if I can find that quickly for you. We're told in Ezekiel, a further explanation. We're given a further explanation of what was really going on in Sodom. 
No, I'm not getting to it quickly enough. But it was that Sodom was a city of overfed people. They were obese. They were fat. In other words, they loved to eat. It was their pleasure. They did not eat to live. They lived to eat. They loved gourmet food. They also were unconcerned about the poor. They were not concerned about others. They were only concerned about themselves and their lifestyle. They were also totally into sexual perversion, into sodomy. They were into every perversion sexually. They had been given over, as it says in Romans, the first chapter. They had been handed over. So it was a much larger issue than just homosexuality. It was also how they treated other people. It was also their self-absorption. Now, I opened this broadcast saying, stop, the red light is flashing. Well, the red light is flashing in America. And it's flashing because we too are an obese people. We too are self-centered and self-concerned. It's not always been that way in America, but it is today. And we feel in America the freedom to go where we want to go, to do what we want to do, to make any choice we want to make, to buy what we want to buy. Please let me be very straight with you. What am I saying? I'm saying... Don't do anything without prayer and supplication and get a very clear word from God regarding what it is you think you want to do. It's time to stop searching the internet and begin to search the scriptures for Jesus. I could have named this broadcast, Stop Searching the Internet. It's time we laid aside our entertainment. It's time we laid aside our hobbies. Why? Because fire is coming to burn America, even as it came to burn Sodom and Gomorrah. We are today Sodom and Gomorrah. America is Sodom and Gomorrah. We are Babylon. We are utterly wicked as a nation. Look at the sorcery that is everywhere on the front page of every newspaper and every public announcement, every you say, whoa, 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 pastor, what do you mean sorceries at the, every story of the news? Well, what is, what does sorcery mean? What does the word mean? It's pharmakia. It's pharmaceuticals. 
unbelief and pharmaceuticals are named as the two primary concerns at the end of time that Jesus will have with the world and with his people. That's what the issue is. So now I'm beginning to move toward a place where I will need another car. I have 200,000 miles on my car. It's a Hyundai Sonata. It's a 2009. How long will it go? I don't know. But I've been saying, Lord, what do you think about another car? Well, I can tell you right now, I will not buy another car. I will not move forward with a purchase, even if I were able to, until the Lord has very clearly directed me in the prayer closet to move forward and buy that car. Why? Because the money I have is not my money. The money you have is not your money. It belongs to the Lord. We give a minimum of 10% tithe, but all of it belongs to the Lord for the work of his kingdom. And part of the work of his kingdom is paying for a place for you to stay, a car to drive, clothing to wear. It's not given to you for your pleasure. You are called to be a part of the kingdom of God and to work for the salvation of the lost. And yet I would guess that most of you have not brought one person to Jesus in the last 12 months. Why? Because you're living in Sodom and Gomorrah. You're living your lifestyle, the American lifestyle, the rich and the famous. I can go on vacation. I can go do this. I can go do that. No, it's time to stop. It's time to search for Jesus. And we search for Jesus by stopping all outreach and activity except as we are directed and led by the Holy Spirit. Well, pastor, if I did that, I wouldn't do anything. Well, that'd be a good place to start. Now, I tell people, if you're working a job, please continue working that job. As you pray about, is that the job the Lord wants you to have? And and ask him, please, do whatever you need to do in my life and in my heart. I belong to you. I'll go where you send me. I'll do what you tell me to do. And you are the provision. You said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of this would be added to you. So, yes, we live like Sodom and Gomorrah. And we are deep into the world of drugs, pharmacia, sorcery. So the indicator 
that we are at the end of time is disobedience, unholiness. Sorcery, pharmakia, and utter deceit. Deceit, to be deceived. The churches were utterly deceived and said, oh, we have to obey the government. As it says, close down your churches. They're not essential. Walmart, you can stay open. Costco, you're essential. Wegmans, you're essential. Don't, don't close down. Small businesses, close down. You're not essential. What? It's the backbone of America. Shut it down. Church, shut it down. I have such high respect for those pastors who said we will not shut down. And the National Prayer Chapel We did not shut down, and we won't. Because we're essential for salvation, for life, for holiness. And we don't go to the government for permission. What would happen in the churches in China if they went to the government for permission to hold their church service? Well, they wouldn't get the permission. They don't ask. They meet in secret places. And sometimes they're caught and imprisoned and beaten and killed. But they still meet. Do you understand the trouble we're in? Sodom and Gomorrah was a place of wickedness and it was swept away because of its perversion because of its obesity, because of its lack of concern for other people and for the poor. It was swept away. America will likewise be swept away. And you, with America, will be swept away. If you don't stop and carefully consider what Jesus wants you to do and hear the voice of the Lord Jesus clearly in your life, in your heart. If you say to me, I can't hear him, pastor, it's because you're too far away from him. You're too far away to hear. You've got to get close. He speaks in his still small voice. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. We're going to go tomorrow to Revelation 18. I hope you're with me. It's a terrifying chapter, but it will identify today as Sodom and Gomorrah. We're still not there financially. We're almost there, but we're still not there to cover this month's radio bill. So if the Lord is prompting you to help, I thank you. I thank you, Theodore. I thank you, Kurt. I thank you, Joanne and others who are helping. Thank you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia. 
888-222-2195. Or you can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can give online. Please share this with others, and please uh, subscribe to our channel on YouTube. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.